0: Did you uh, do any um, sports in high school?
1: No.
0: I-, I know you didn't do any in college.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say that?
0: <laughs> Hello, sweet friends, and welcome to the Trong Curious World Podcast. Summer is over, motherfuckers, but fret not because, uh, well, it's, it's fall or autumn or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I actually love this time of year. Um, you know, maybe because my brain is so wired to be on an academic calendar. I just feel like this is the new year. You know, you've got people going back to school, uh, you know, folks getting new jobs, uh, change of season. Um, you know, those those uh, Im- so-called important movies that are hitting the box office, new shit on TV. Uh, It's just a different, you know, completely different vibe. And pumpkin spice, pumpkin latte, pumpkin, all kinds of pumpkin shit everywhere, if you're into that, um, go for it. You know, here's, this is, this is your, this is your Final Four, your Super Bowl era right now, Um, which is, like I said, it's, it's a change of season. And it reminds, it reminds me, you know, being on the East Coast that, you know, everything, Everything changes and evolves. Uh, Summer was great, but it's in the rearview mirror now. And that kind of, uh, you know, it's a good segue to introduction of my guest today. uh, My good friend from from a while back, uh, Gina, who is a, um, well, she's many things, but uh, she's an entrepreneur, I can't even talk, entrepreneur. Um, a good soul she's uh she's become a, a a triathlete of all things uh you know usually people pick up like a uh you know they learn a second language or or learn how to knit or something or a cooking class and and she uh she's become a triathlete which is amazing and it i think it's something deep down that we all kind of I don't know if it's aspires right word, but maybe fantasize of like, yeah, I'd like to do that just to conquer, not necessarily like get a medal or win a a contest, but just say like, I've always wanted to do it. You know, I've always wanted to push myself. And that's what I got from this conversation is that set your own uh, goals and just go out and impress yourself. And uh, that's amazing and inspiring for me. Um, Anyway, I'll shut up. Uh, I don't want to have a huge, long introduction. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, as always. Without uh, further ado, not that I'm doing any do, of course, uh, without further ado, my conversation with the lovely, the inspiring Gina (laughs) Soloparito. What do you find more challenging, the, the Ironman or the. Ironman is a triathlon, right? Um, triathlon or just straight running? Straight running. That's more challenging?
1: Yeah.
0: It seems counterintuitive.
1: <laughs> I know, but when. It's, it's funny because this weekend I'm supposed to be on a full run regime. And I stayed with my friend, Suzanne, who's an incredible athlete, triathlete. And she's like, let's go biking! Mm-hmm. And so we, she took me around where she lived, and we were riding up all these hills, and I'm like, this feels so good. And I was like, you know what, this this keeps me injury-free. So like, when you're training against three sports, you're not going to be awesome, really, at any of them, unless you're a superhuman. But you'll stay injury-free, and you're you're basically Helping the other muscle groups by doing a swim versus a bike versus a run, so I feel like I'm in better shape and I just feel better when I'm doing all three. Oh, I see. There's a balance. Yeah, because if I'm straight running, I'm like, holy shit, I'm not built for this. <laughs>
0: right. I would imagine, like the knees, mm-hmm. right, the feet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What of the th- uh, of the three? What's what's the hardest when you're competing?
1: I mean, I guess it's the run because I. I'm, I'm a shitty runner. I'm terrible.
0: Or do you have any apprehension on the bike?
1: A little bit because I had a crash. Right, a that's few, what I was A asking, few yeah. years ago. So, what it really comes down to, there's, I get a little bit of anxiety when I'm on technical descents. But that's also related to my core weakness. So it's like all these little things kind of come into play. That it's like a little puzzle. And so I've started to like get over the fear and try to understand why I feel that. I feel uneasy. And I'm like, ah, it's, it's not strong enough. <laughs> Shit, I'm not strong
0: Because your core? Yeah. Huh. So do you. When you train, is it, is it, are you training and you're doing those specific things or are you doing other things to for like more strength and conditioning?
1: Uh, I'm throwing in a lot of strength and conditioning now because I know exactly where my weaknesses are. It's like this is the thing of starting to become becoming an endurance athlete as an adult when you did not have an athletic childhood. It's weird. <laughs>
0: right, don't you always you say like, man, I wish I knew this, I wish I knew this then.
1: I wish. <laughs> I wish I had leg braces on, on, on me when I was a baby and that I didn't have to really figure all this stuff out as an adult because you, it, just changing behavior, forget about sport. It's like you're reprogramming an adult brain. Did
0: you uh, do any um, sports in high school? No. I know you didn't do any in college. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what made you say that? <laughs> uh,
0: which we'll 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 get into in a minute. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I so I I I wrestled in high school, and I was more of a fan on the periphery of sports, yeah. but never really a major participant. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm probably the most athletic that I am now in my life, which is kind of creepy and sad and scary <laughs> why do you say that? I don't know I just because like you know I mean you know, I just think like if I knew what I know now like in my in my 20s maybe I'd be like this like super athlete oh
1: I mean I think about that myself too but it's like there's no time like the present
0: true no I, I say that in jest I mean like I'm I mean I'm, I I love like where I am now I mean with that's the whole point of wisdom is yeah. that you get it through experience yeah
1: I know, I keep thinking, like, in another 20 years, I'll be kicking ass, or dead. Or or I'll be dead. (laughs) I'll finally be winning my age group when I'm 60.
0: Do you think it's an addiction?
1: I've, I've been asked that a lot, and here's why I think no. No, because, and I actually thought about this when I was running last night. Like this isn't an addiction because I don't know enough. I don't know enough about what I'm doing. There, I have so much to learn that this couldn't be an addiction.
0: But I think addictions are emotion-based, right?
1: Um, to a degree. I just discovered something that I actually, I actually enjoy. Do you feel
0: better after having done it? And do you feel like if you don't do it, that you need to do it?
1: Well, I I sign up for races to hold me accountable. I like the structure. I like the structure of having that assignment. Because I work with a coach. If I do it on my own, forget it. It's never going (laughs) to happen. But I have a coach. So I basically check in. It's like I'm checking in with my teacher. I'm checking in with my authoritative figure of sorts. So it is a little bit, it's a little bit for accountability. You know, more, you know I work for myself and I've worked in a creative industry for my entire career where I'm having to enforce accountability and, it, and enforce structure on others, <laughs> which is Funny, because I can't do it for myself necessarily, but I, do, I know I have the discipline, I have the will to say, that's going to be hard and you're going to do it. And so some of it, it I, well, I, I guess dialing back to, is it an addiction? I'm still going to say no. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel, in, in a course of a work week or in the course of my life here in New York, it gives me enough structure to operate a little bit more focus in every other aspect of my life. It calms calms me down because I, I tend to take a lot on. Just professionally, personally, I just I say yes to everything. <laughs> Damn what's, it! What's wrong with that? It's hard to do, but it's hard to say no, and because everything sounds amazing, and I, I love everybody that I interact with, and it's so fun. Everything's everything's a discovery. So, and that's the way I look at. I feel like I'm just now rambling and talking in circles, but. I, Getting back to the point, it's like why I do this is part discovery. I'm learning things about myself that I didn't even know I could do. I didn't even believe I could do it. And now I've started to scratch that surface of like, oh, wait a second, you're actually getting better at this. And I, I, my my head starts to explode, I'm like, wait. <laughs> but I wasn't this kid, but I am this woman. And so it's... It's a renaissance in a way. It's part of it.
0: Is the competition part
1: of it? It's me against me. I don't really compete with anybody else. I started doing it, doing the sports with other groups. But mainly, I guess I got into it to help other people. And the first time I ever rode a bike at long distance was for... um, VMS Society. Was a, they do a charity ride from Boston to Provincetown. And I, I saw it. I was taking spinning classes back in the 90s. Hard to believe that spinning is awesome again and cool. I'm like, wait a minute, but we did that so long did ago. Did they do it the
0: same way? With the bike bolted down? Yeah, yeah. The Same thing. Oh. Yeah,
1: I'm like, that's weird. But anyway, the, the teachers that I had then were, were saying, like, hey, so. Just imagine you're out on this road, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, why am I not on the road?" I'm like, "Did you have a screen?" Or no, I was just all.
0: Because you know, how it's it's like a. It's very interactive now. You, uh, the, the instructor has a headset, and
1: no, we had to use our imagination.
0: There was there music pumping. We had good was there music. Themes?
1: We had kind of cool music, and we had workouts like intervals or, um, endurance rides or whatever it was. So they just kept saying, oh, imagine, imagine you're on this road, and I'm like, well, what? I should be on the road, and <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous, and then I kept walking by the flyer of riding from Boston to P-Town, I'm like, how cool would that be, if you ride along the, the coastline of Massachusetts, all the way down Cape Cod, and take a ferry back, that sounds amazing. Every like,
0: every postmodern artist's head's exploding right now, yeah. like, no!
1: Yeah. Simulation. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought about it. I picked up one of the flyers. And I was like, I don't have a bike. I have to figure this out. Not more than a day or two later, a friend of mine called me and told me she got diagnosed with MS. I was like, there's my answer. I'm doing this. I'll find a bike, find the gear, and I'm riding this. And I did it. I rode a borrowed bike. With sneakers, I bought a pair of bike shorts. I didn't know how to change the gears on the bike, so I rode the entire thing. It was like almost two hundred miles, and I rode it.
0: Over was two it days. Flat?
1: Two days, no, no, it wasn't flat. Was not it... You
0: squeezing the brake a lot, or? Uh, I don't
1: remember. I remember just kind of working hard, but the people around me were all so incredible. Did what was it? your
0: What was your apprehension of like being in the group?
1: None at all. Oh. I, I rode by myself. I just decided I would do this. And my friend Jean, who had been diagnosed, volunteered. She and her husband were both motorcycle riders. So they were on motorcycle patrol throughout the weekend. And, it, you know, so we got to do, we got to help her and help the organization together. And it was, it seemed like a, an enormous amount of money, but I had to raise like 450 bucks, and I, and I was surprised that people donated it, and I was surprised that I, I did it. I was, I was thinking like, I'll oh, finish it. I just didn't know how I would do, or how I would feel. But the community, when you get involved in these types of organizations, these active events, everybody is so kind and so generous and so warm it's like well why would i not want to be part of this this is amazing (laughs) and and, yeah (laughs) and then free beer (laughs) (laughs) it's funny how like
0: we have this 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 image in our head right of Mm -hmm. like apprehension of like a group whether it's cycling or whatever Of like oh man like i'm not i'm not at their level they're gonna judge me or you know it's it's gonna be like this thing which is, like, stupid, right? It's
1: so stupid. Whether
0: it's, like, a cycling club or a book club or anything. Nobody
1: cares. Yeah, I know. Like, especially something like that. It's like, we're all here for a cause. And, you know, and that's ultimately how I got involved in triathlon, too. I got, I got invited into that. A friend of mine was doing a couple of triathlons with team and training, and that's for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And, um, you know, it was cool. She... Well, but I always wanted to swim again. She's like, they'll teach you everything. They'll coach you, they'll get you swimming, they'll get you running. And I'm like, but I've never run before. She's like, it doesn't matter, you'll be fine. And I'm like, okay. I went and I went to the information session, I signed up. I'm like, they're extraordinarily convincing. And once again, I met the most incredible human beings and people I will never forget.
0: What Before you did that, what, what was the longest you ran?
1: Uh, f- few blocks.
0: Right. So what was the biggest adjust, adjustment for you? I
1: mean if you saw me running 10 years ago, you I mean like,
0: most people most yeah. people go heel first, you know, to to I up, mean, to I
1: just I I, I was biomechanically a disaster.
0: Like Super Mario just like a boob. <laughs>
1: I mean, nothing made sense. My doctor, I would go in and check in with him. I've had the same doctor in New York since I moved here. He's like, you know what? Why don't you try yoga? I think he's like, that might be a good solution for you. I'm like, no, I'm, go- I'm sticking with this. I'm going to go for it. Wait,
0: wait, why did he suggest that? Because he, he checked you out and saw something?
1: Yeah, I'd get injured a lot in the earlier years. I had torn my gastroc muscle, which is the big calf muscle. In the leg, running. It was just doing the same old stuff but felt like this little rubber band go blink and I'm like, oh, that's... It's in your calf? Yeah. It was right in the back of the calf. Wow. Never had pain like that in my leg before. Like, you can't walk when you tear that muscle. I don't know if it was like a tear or a pull, but it was a mess. And so... I compensated rather than like actually get crutches or do something smart like I can I can work around this so I, I put heels I just wear high heels to alleviate the pressure and put the pressure more on the ball of my foot versus the back like, sort of I thought this <laughs> thought this might relax the muscle but I ended up putting all this weight on the outer side of my foot, on the, the exterior side of my foot and basically ended up with a stress fracture in my heel. Right, because it's unnatural. Yeah. It's It it's... shifted all that exactly. way to the one point of my, my heel bone. So that was my first...
0: <laughs> I can see why your doctor liked you so much. He's
1: like, you're, he's like, you're an idiot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but so, I'm really good at other things.
1: <laughs> yeah. So my first triathlon, this was during my training for my first try. So my first running experience, I had been in a, a walking boot for six weeks or eight weeks, <laughs> and then I had like a month left to run with a healthy foot. I mean, it was it was embarrassingly bad, but you know, I, I, once again, I just I finished it, and I'm like, oh, this is an amazing experience. One, I never believed I could do this. Two, the people around me are incredible human beings, and three, this was a lot of fun, <laughs> even though even though part of it sucked, but I still loved it. What city was it? It was in Westchester. Wow. Westchester, New York. The Westchester Triathlon.
0: So you start on the water mm-hmm. and then you um, get on a bike mm-hmm. and then, just and try then to hobble
1: picture. through a 10k. Yeah.
0: Just trying to picture the lovely town of Westchester. What?
1: Well, it was Rye, New York. It's oh, okay. like a little, it's like an amusement park right where we were.
0: And what time of year was that? September, huh. September
1: 2005, 10 years ago.
0: Wow. And now you're such a seasoned veteran doing it,
1: or something. Maybe crazy. <laughs> but you know, I'm still learning, so keeps me healthy, keeps my mind a little bit clearer.
0: So what are some misconceptions? I mean, most people just feel like you just kind of go and go hard, like, you know, train and like, so like what I was asking you before in terms of like carbs and things like that, like what are some misconceptions of in terms of, uh, you know, doing a triathlon? Um, You
1: know, I used to be this way, is looking at the entirety of an event. Looking at all these distances lumped together, looking at, oh, well, first I have to swim, then I have to run, bike, and then I have to run. I can't do that. The first point of view is, how can anyone do that? How can you do that? And if you actually educate yourself correctly, you work with the right types of people, you break everything down. So one is, you can't look at the, you have to look at the parts of the whole. There's, there are phases, like anything. It's like product development. It's like yeah, just you discover, you you build, you reiterate, and refine, and, and that's a, that's a, a simple way to do it. Like, because I look at myself. I look at myself before I did this, and I'm like, there's no way I can do this. I can't do this. A friend of mine telling me stories, I'm like, that's crazy. I can't. I would never be able to do that. And here I'm doing it. And then
0: what do you say to them? I mean, what I would imagine when this comes up at like a cocktail party or something, I'm sure people are like,
1: what? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a mindset, though. You know, we talk about, I've talked about this a lot with, with different people that I work with, different people that I train with, and sort of like that notion of impossible. And I love that Muhammad Ali quote, which I'm not going to recite because I can't remember it word for word. But that impossible is a myth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's our, our experiences, our own personal experiences, blocking us from doing what we're supposed to do, what we're meant to do. What we're capable of doing. What we dream about doing. And... I'm just I feel like I'm just discovering all of that I'm like oh wow, this is a great big world out here and if I believe I can't do it if I, if I believe I can't do something then I have to go for it if that makes any sense
0: oh yeah it definitely makes sense I mean I think that's maybe that's the difference between you and probably 85% of the people in the country have of- I think because you have that that knee-jerk reaction of, I can't do it, and then you start to evaluate, "Uh, do I really want to do it? Uh, Probably not. And then you kind of shift into something that you can obtain, a a quicker victory.
1: Well, you know, and what success is to me is completely different to what success is to you, or anyone else for that matter.
0: Well, yes. I, I... yeah, I mean obviously, but I think there there're probably some some universal ties, right? I mean, success is happiness and uh fulfillment and not settling. I think right. those are kind of baseline things. Yeah. Um which a lot of people sacrifice, you know, one or multiple of those things. Yeah,
1: for whatever reason, out of obligation, out of past learning, past... It's past. It's, it's memory. It's, it's in your head that you have to accept what's in front of you as the truth, as reality. I mean, there are, there are factual realities. It's 90, 90 plus degrees outside today. It's hot. That's a reality.
0: <laughs> but it's September.
1: Yeah, but it's September.
0: Do <laughs> you want another one? Okay. Yeah. Where did this drive come from?
1: I think I always had it. But I didn't really understand. I didn't really understand it. and didn't really, it. I wasn't really able to access it until I got a little bit older. Like Spider-Man. (laughs) Like Spider-Man. Well, you know, it's like, we're all raised in the ways that our parents, you know, raise, I mean, literally raise us. Like, we only know what we know. We only, we're so much a part of our surroundings. Although, I will say, like, when I was five, we moved halfway through my kindergarten year. My little brother was born right around this time that we, all this stuff happened. We moved. My brother was, my brother was born. Then we moved like, a couple weeks later. Started a new school. And I was in this really clicky Massachusetts school. <laughs> I was in kindergarten. But Did, all you kid- want
0: to say the town?
1: Lista uh, <laughs> yeah. um,
0: I already pictured the little kids with the little hockey hair.
1: No, they didn't have little hockey hair. Well, the girls had braids and ribbons and... Things of things of that nature, but the point was like these kids were five and they were already in the social cliques, which was weird when you think about it. And I just knew even then I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know if I belong here. At so, five? Yeah. Really?
0: Because mo- the, the the instinct I think most five-year-olds are, how can I belong? Like I don't belong, but I, I really like. What? Why don't I belong? Why can't I, I? have to. Like this is the clan. Like I have to assimilate somehow.
1: I figured that out. I would. I had all these one-on-one relationships with a lot of the little girls, but never. I never got into that groupthink mentality. Just didn't feel right, and I always just kind of knew. And. I ended up hanging around with all like the a lot of the peripheral kids, some of the other new kids that would come into school, but just people that really didn't attach themselves to this group culture. If that makes any sense. At five. Between five and and yeah, year after year, I just sort of build on that. I'm like, you know what? Because I was already treated as a new kid. I'm like, well, you know, the only way I'm going to be accepted, I think, is if I just am as authentic as I can possibly be. These are the thoughts that went through my head as a little kid. And I'm just going to be me. I'm not going to try. I can't. It just was not in my DNA to try to change who I was to, to fit in with whatever group. And so that's, I'm going to fast forward then, because when I went to Emerson, <laughs> I, when, I, when I toured Emerson College, I was 16 or 17, and I was writing up a storm. I applied for the creative writing program there, and that's why I wanted to go to that school so badly. I remember touring the campus, and I was walking in through like 128 Beacon or something like that, and I just saw like people expressing themselves in whatever way, shape, or form they wanted to be. So this girl, blue haired and nose ring, and I was 16 or 17, like, yes, this is, this is home. It was, because there was no judgment whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I think we are at school at a very unique time. You know, it was like pre-technology, there was a, 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 um, a, kind of a, a, a weird hybrid of music and culture and, politics even you know that's you know because oh, yeah. you
1: know, the LA riots were yeah going on? I mean
0: you had you know Clinton versus Perot versus Bush uh I remember that was really big and then yeah and then exactly you had the Rodney King verdict um oh, so, so and then you had a dichotomy and then Kurt Cobain died mm-hmm. so you had this whole like a lot of cultural events and but you didn't have we didn't have the technology so like obviously not today you couldn't you know you couldn't tweet or text or anything nobody had a phone I remember which is also good I remember but I remember I think it was somebody had the first cell phone but it was like that giant thing that Michael Douglas has (laughs) in like Wall Street and I was like wow that is awesome I was like that's not gonna catch on though (laughs)
1: <laughs> not, 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 not the high top sneaker as well. Yeah. No. yeah, it looked like
0: Shaq's sneaker on your head. I'm like, so I, I made a call and nobody could hear me. I'm like, this is bullshit. Nobody, this isn't gonna catch on. Come on. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot about like, what if we had our technology like of 2015 then? Um, you know, I uh, I don't know if you get this, but you know, some people two things either people like never heard of emerson or people who are completely enamored they they put it up there with yes. like they put it up there with like yale i know <laughs> which is fine with <laughs> I me know, it's fine with
1: me too they're like you went to emerson oh my god <laughs> like is that really that big of a deal
0: you know or, what i find Have if you we... ever met anybody that um have gone to neighboring like massachusetts schools like clark and so forth oh yeah all those people try to get into emerson really like I met a lot of people, like Clark, for instance, which is a pretty esteemed school.
1: Yeah,
0: I, 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 a lot of people that I have met there could, got in, there, went, got attended got Clark because they couldn't get into Emerson. That's crazy. Which I thought I was like, of all the like the knuckleheads that we had in our school, I can't imagine like who, <laughs> like how how did you like what did you put on your like application that you're a normal human being?
1: No, you just had to be weird to get into Emerson.
0: Yeah, well, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. So, so, so to go back to my whole point of, like, how it was so diverse, yeah, that was my my thing, too. Like, my, that was, like, my, euphoric, I was, like, it was, like, Woodstock for me that first, that first, like, week. or I was, like, wow, this is so unique. You had all the, the, the different nuances of, you know, different people. And even then, I knew, like, some of them were posers, but I didn't care. Because I was, like, I, I, I'd never experienced any, like, these are the people that i always aspired to meet in high school but i never went around yeah. because the people in high school were the dipshits that that lived near me <laughs> so but these guys like these authentic or not especially when everybody's new at one place you're like mm-hmm. everybody's friendly and i just felt like this is this is where i should be you know
1: i had no doubt the minute i walked on that campus that it was where i should be and i still say that to this day that said, I took a course at Columbia University, and like, whoa, this is a real university? <laughs> that, but I, I think Emerson, going back to that school, I really believe they prepare you for real life. It's not, yes, there are very specific programs, but everything is applicable to what you're gonna see in the real world, at least at the time that I, I was in, in my program. You know, I did a ton of internships, did whatever I could to sort of get my feet wet, so to speak, off the campus. I I think I worked two or three jobs while I was in school as well, so just really plugged in. I always tried to stay plugged in and exposed in areas where I knew I could establish a career. You okay, buddy?
0: Uh, listeners, you're you're hearing of the Wonder Dog. That mm-hmm. wasn't uh, that wasn't that wasn't me just kind of yeah. wailing away.
1: No, yeah, I, cry- I was I was wailing away. And <laughs> that was such an emotional uh, yeah, flashback like,
2: to, to Emerson.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's just it was it's just a place that I knew. Whatever I put in, I would get it back in return.
0: Did when when did you have your eyes set on moving to New York?
1: I never really did. Um... But I dated this this guy, John, for like eleven years. I met him before I graduated high school. And before high school? Before I graduated high school, before college.
0: So you were with him at at school. Yeah. At Emerson. Yeah. Wow. And I just remember you walking yeah. around with your with your well, short cropped hair and your big earrings <laughs> like you were a hot shit and you had that leather jacket. You were walking around with, with no, Claudia, Claudia and Anne Marie, and, and you are like, and I was like, "Who's Joan Jet there with the big leather, the cool leather jacket?" I mean, obviously, I'm saying that with, with Jess. I'm Like, hey,
1: okay, whatever, whatever,
0: too cool for school, whatever. That is not true at all. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm kidding. You were always I didn't know you that well, but I, you were always very friendly. I, I didn't I didn't have any animosity toward Gina. I'm, I'm obviously yeah. kidding.
1: That girl was a bitch. No. um... You know, so I, did, I dated John for a really long time, and just kind of, we met in the same town. Year after year, I was like, oh, okay, we don't really want the same things anymore, and I'm really boiling that down to a couple of years of, do I make this work? How do I make it work? Can we make it work? Kind of put. How all, did
0: you make it work at uh at, 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 in school?
1: Well, it was great because. Had all the freedom I needed to, to, to study and experience fully come up on the weekends and party with all my friends. We weren't that—it wasn't that huge of an age gap between us. Um, so we ended up having a lot of fun. It wasn't—it wasn't a bad thing. And with the dating scene at the Emerson campus, wasn't <laughs> wasn't exactly <laughs> riveting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was more like the all right,
0: all right, right. So you're still alive. Okay, we'll, we'll right, still keep cool. we'll um, dating.
1: Wasn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't an exciting scene, but I didn't care at that time. It just everything everything that happened was meant to have happened the way it did, and no regrets there. But you know, we tried to fix something that wasn't working. It didn't work. Finally, made peace with it. And actually, I came down to visit Claudia the weekend before
0: 9-11. Wow.
1: And I had, do you, I don't know if you remember William Johnson, too. We, we no. hung out for his birthday party weekend. So, so I came down on Friday, 9-8. And hung, I went to Claudia's place. We hung out. We just ran around the city all weekend.
0: What, was she in the city she, at the time? She was
1: living in the East Village or Gramercy around that time. I went to William's party in Flatbush. It was just like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm doing all this
0: stuff. Like, <laughs> what could go wrong on Tuesday?
1: I'm like, this, <laughs> this city is awesome. I love it. I'm moving here. Convinced. And then, of course, 9-11 happened. And it was just like, wait a second, I was just here. You know the typical try to try to get a hold of everybody, find people. It's terrifying, and the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna be in Boston for a little while longer because our economy tanked and just took a while to recover. So, again, not a bad thing. I had a decent job and good people I was working with. But it, as I started to plan my exit, you know. John and I split up, and then I'm like, okay, <laughs> like seriously, why am, I, why am I still here? Why am I here now?
0: Because At that time, you had ended your relationship. Mm-hmm.
1: Which was a, just a hard decision for me to make because I spent so much time investing in this relationship, and no one didn't really know what it would feel like to be out of that again. I didn't want to be single again sounded terrifying to me. Um, but it couldn't have been worse than what I would, had been feeling at that time. I just felt like, oh wow, I just feel sad. Yeah. I feel sad all the time. And it's, this is a wonderful human being and we're not connecting. So I'm like, okay, let me look at Boston again. What's for me here? Because Boston Wait, but is... But
0: did you move back to Worcester? No,
1: no. Never moved back to Worcester. I always lived in Boston. And he would come up and visit me after I moved Where in Boston? Year. I lived in the South End. Okay. On Worcester Square <laughs> for one year. And then on Shamet Ave.
0: Wow. I wonder what those are like right now.
1: Well, I know my landlord on Shamet is like a couple doors down from the Franklin Cafe. An architect. We did it. this gorgeous building, bottom, top to bottom or bottom to top, except for my floor. I had the whole top floor. I had this floor-through studio. It's probably a thousand square feet. Nine hundred bucks a month for rent, and it, I could I slept six people in there <laughs> with tons of room. It just felt enormous. And then I moved to the city. I'm like, oh, this is this is. All I <laughs> and so it was funny because I, I had been interviewing because I. So I moved to New York in the fall of three and I'd been interviewing like crazy all of 2003 because that, that was a year I was like, all right, now someone's got to give, i got to get out of here. Boston is a great place to be a student, as we all know, but then when you kind of get out of being yeah, a student, Yeah, you just like, feel so old, right? Yeah, and it's just like people just kind of go back into their inner worlds and inner communities. And I thought back of like when I was a little kid trying to fit into these social groups that are already pre-established and that's that's how Boston is. I still love it, but it's not there wasn't this warm welcoming, hey, everyone belongs here. Cause they know. And I finally realized, okay, well, if I'm gonna be in Boston, all I'm gonna do is work, and there's more to life than that. I have got to try something new. I had two job interviews One in Los Angeles and one in New York, that offers for both jobs on the same day. The better job was in LA, but the better people opportunity was in New York. So I ended up moving to New York, obviously.
0: Do you ever 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 keep up with, did you ever follow that timeline of like the what if, if you went to LA? I
1: did and I made the right decision. 100% hundred percent don't regret it whatsoever because New York I knew two or three people and that's all you need. If that that's like the maximum you need to get by if you have a clue and you're willing to to work for it Cause I yeah. don't, because I don't think New York is a place for everybody.
0: Either. yeah I was actually yeah I was discussing this with my uh, with my girlfriend the other night because she moved like I moved here as a single and so did she and I think it would have been it would have been different to move to New York as a couple
1: probably
0: and because you can't you just you experience you just can't you you're compromised by what you experience because the city is so overwhelming and it's also exciting you know when you meet somebody who's only been here for six months you're like oh you still have that twinkle in your eye I remember that (laughs) (laughs) But it's going to be different, I think, if you're dating somebody, because it's like, hey, do you want to check this out? Or you know what I mean? Like, and obviously, you as a good thing, you want to experience those things together. But I think the beauty of coming here for the first time in your life is that you're on your own, and there's this world of unknown, which is a hybrid of being of terrifying, but also very exciting, and I think. I think you really do need to experience that by yourself. Well, there's no have to. I mean, people can obviously do whatever they want. Yeah. But, um... uh, I
1: don't know if that experience ever goes away. Be. Of like holy shit, what am I doing here? Too oh, this is awesome. I mean, it's the no. I think scene. I think it gets kind of <laughs> it get
0: I get I guess it gets kind of tart like layered with like oh fuck this. <laughs> and you get on a crowded train and I'm like god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> See someone with a clipboard. Yeah. Fuck you. Get out of my way. If you
1: block the door, no one can get on or off the train. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: Why are you leaning on the pole? It. <laughs> it's true. Or do you still keep in touch with your ex?
1: Mm-mm. But I did actually write him a note. I, I had um, been advised by my mom to to just cut ties because so it, it was really it's tough to separate when you've had that much time invested and I look at it the way I might have handled it. if If I were me now, I would say, hey, you know what, let's take a break. Let's not communicate. We're gonna move on from this and we can still be friends in some other way, baby down the road. But it just, uh, it didn't make sense at the time. It was I don't think I handled it the right way, but I still look back and say, well, this is a person that gave me, some safety gave me some support and gave me a lot of love, and I truly respect that. Gave a lot to my family, and this, so I just had been kind of going over that process, especially a lot in the past few months. So I just wrote him a note because, you know, fortunately, fortunately, or unfortunately, everybody's on Facebook. So like, I wrote him a note and. It's totally weird to receive something like that. So I never heard back from him, and I wouldn't expect to. But at least the message was out there, and it was positive.
0: I have this debate a lot with people, because I, ha- I meet a lot of people who um, feel like they, you know, oh, I, I, okay, so I'm trying to re- regurgitate this verbatim. I know I have a friend that says, well, you know, you spend so much intimate t- time with people... And you have this connection that you—it's a shame that you just eliminate that. And this person is, you know, very proud that he is friends with all his exes. So I come from a school of thought that I am not friends with any of my exes, and because I feel—well, in my case in particular, they've all ended very dramatically bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but That's I, I don't—I don't hold any str- i mean, I've, I've moved on with my life. My point is. I'm not gonna circle back and say like, "Hey, I'm just checking in with you. How are you?" You know, you're on my. I, I don't. Again, this is this is me. I, I don't feel like you automatically get uh, an access code to me because of what we shared. No. I I want to move forward, and I, I don't want to go backwards. I don't. I don't like. That's a moment in time that I had, and we. We were together, and now we're not. And then, you know, whatever you're doing, that's that's just another that's another ship that is sailed.
1: Yeah. No. And I, and I think that's perfectly normal and fine. I, I I think I just wanted to say, hey, thank thank you. That's it. You, for whatever, for whatever it's worth, you are a positive impact, and. In some way, healing for me, sure, you know, um, but I think if you truly have feel positive impact from somebody, what's the harm in saying, hey, you know what, what you did, how you helped me or changed my life for the better, really meant something to me. And that, so those are powerful words from anyone. Because how many times do you ever know? How, I always ask myself this: like, what do, what do people really think of me? And it's not. What'd you it, come up with? I, I don't, I don't have an answer. <laughs> but, but I, I, I try to invest quality time and effort into every interaction that I have. Any friendship that I have. They could be high fidelity, low fidelity. Like those variables are ch- are changing all the time.
0: It's also empowering, right? Mm-hmm. To to put all that out there. Now, now, what I said is just for me personally, yeah. and that's just my own pathology. But for what you just did, I think that is that is bold, and I think that does empower you just to put that out there, and to have an honest statement, and say, and, and also too. I mean, we don't we have a choice in our lives, right? To mm-hmm. walk around with baggage, or to walk around and be free and say. Mm-hmm. Like this is on my mind and this is positive and this is love. And people can react any way they want, but I feel like it's better and it's more healthy and therapeutic and empowering to do that than like, you know what? This person wronged me and he he or she can go fuck off. I'm right. I'm right.
1: Yeah, I mean, so much bullshit is going on in the world. I I mean, I, it's, it's funny. I've been listening to Rage Against the Machines first record that came out in nineteen ninety two. That'll that'll put you in a mood. I listen to hardcore music, and it's not the only type of music I listen to, but when I when I need to like smack myself in the head and like get clear, get focused. like Arr! but I listen to some of these lyrics and I'm like, what the fuck has changed in this world? From nineteen ninety two to 2015, we're still fighting the same fight in so many ways. I feel like we've evolved in, in some ways, but...
0: But we've devolved in we've a lot of ways. We've devolved
1: in a lot of other ways.
0: <clears throat> My answer to that, sh- in short, is uh, I think we created a lot more distractions. Um, are we more enlightened people? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, are we more forthcoming with like our emotions and and our interpersonal relationships. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know either. But I do know that there's a lot of bad news out there, and I don't want to. I don't want to be part of that cycle. I want to be part of the cycle of good news and good, good thoughts, good energy, because I don't want to be responsible for any of the mess that was left behind. If there's any way, if I can explain this in any simple way, I want to leave this world better than the way I found
0: it. Okay, I'm going to try to articulate the best I can in terms of how I feel, the difference between, let's pick a date, let's say 1992 versus 2015. The difference, I think, is that we do, because of technology, that we are... Now, again, I'm a pessimist when it comes to the future. I think we're all going to be enslaved by AI, and it's going to be like you know the Terminator... And I don't have a, I don't have a good idea of the, the future. Anyway, that being said, I think technology has created a lot of distraction. So it puts us at ease, right? So you hear about an oil spill. You hear about like oh, you know, you know Cecil the lion gets killed. And there's enormous like moral outrage for two weeks, and then it <laughs> simmers down, and then we go on to Kim Kardashian, or whatever, <laughs> because we didn't have that in 1992. No. Just doing a, 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 a comparison of, of those two particular years, but because of technology, any 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 human being has access to all recorded information now. Because we didn't have the internet then, to well, I, not to the degree we have now. You can you can just spend hours and hours you know, researching um, you know, artifacts of Egypt or looking at cat videos or whatever you want you can, you can do your thing oh. hey you can do your thing and if it's about the future or if it's about the past or if it's about your own little world I think those are at least with technology now it's provided options for us
1: and it's exposed the weaknesses in systems that were created 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that can no longer support, for example, a population growth in our country. You know, look at 1980 or 85 to 2015, we're up 100 million people in population. Does the same policies hold true in, in the technology revolution and a population growth as significant as that.
0: Well, here, here's also the thing. So technology is growing at a rapid pace, right? And then people we can't keep up with it. But you also have such a a, a a weird dichotomy in our in our society where you have you've got people in Texas praying for rain. Right. Praying to God that it'll rain in, in you know in Texas and you know because they've experienced a drought just like most a lot of other places and and you know denying any kind of you know global warming or anything like that it's just God so if we pray then if He hears our prayers then it will rain um, and then you you've got very stubborn you know very viewpoints of morality of of old. And then you've got um, people who want to hold on to certain values for their economic reasons, whether it's you know, changing, uh, you know, moving, uh, shifting from fossil fuels, which I guess, you know, generally speaking, to move away from fossil fuels, I think most people would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We can move away from you know, the, the dependency of the, you know, the Middle East and things like mm-hmm. that. But if you're an executive, for like, say, Shell, You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, that's, I, I, that's, you're, uh, you're, you're eating into my, uh, realigning my pool next summer. Okay, come on. Yeah. So I think there's, there's all, there's, there seems to be like a give and take and give and take and we create new information. We, I mean, we unearth new information, we create new things, and then there's an opposition of the old. Like, no, 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 no we can't do that. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. And it, me, personally, I do get frustrated by that. Because I feel like we, we just go in circles and we don't do anything.
1: Well, no one... And I've listened to a couple of audiobooks by this guy, Simon Sinek, that I, I discovered on TED. He did a He's written two books. One called Start With Why. And, you know, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And Leaders Eat Last. And talking about leadership and how proper leaders guide followers. At the end of the day, coming out of just looking at pure leadership. Leadership means looking out for those behind you, your followers. We're not doing that. We're not... We as a society, we as a world, we're not looking out for the greater good of the whole. I don't know if I can recall a time in my lifetime that we as a society have said All right, this is the best decision because it's going to be the best for everybody and that that's probably a global issue but that's the way I, I approach things in the way I do my work I remember one of my first real bosses a creative director was like Gina I appreciate all your your work, but when you come to me with a problem, also give me some solutions, variables to that, because then I can help you make a decision. And if the solutions you've given me aren't good, then I can can come up with my own, but at least you can break it down and give me something to react to, rather than here's a problem.
0: Right, because nobody wants more work.
1: No one wants more work, but it's, it was the best advice I ever got because it's just, I, I grabbed onto that and ran with it because I could say here's a problem, here's a way at it, you like it, no, okay, then maybe here's here's plan B, but at least I'm thinking about it, so I start to attack problems from all these different angles and figure out what the best solution is and you know, when it comes to a group or a team, or whatever whatever the entity is, I want to make sure that everybody, we're all going to have to make compromises, sure, fine, who's going to suffer the least? How are we all going to suffer the least? Or how are we all going to benefit the most? It seems pretty simple. Whoa. <laughs> it seems pretty simple. <clears throat> How did you
0: uh, how did you evolve into becoming a, uh, a creative director and, and, and owning your own business? Well, I'm
1: not a creative director, but I am a connector, a producer, um, sort of by accident. I wanted to be a writer when I was when I was in college, and I got a little overwhelmed by the. Sort of the aggression and the anticipation of being eighteen, and everyone trying to like really impress the professors and blow. There was a lot of competition, blowing the other students out of the water with their works. And I didn't want to be a part of that. I maybe mean, maybe it was partially self-conscious, partially fear, whatever it was. Um, I just didn't want to be a part of it. So I think any of the writing that I did when I was younger, and I wrote every day, I was writing all the time, but it was more for me, more than others, I think, at that point. So kind of switched over to communication studies, speech, advertising, marketing, and I'm like, oh, cool, I can be a copywriter in the ad world, but the first internship I got was in the traffic and production department. Traffic managers were making sure that everybody was approving the work before it went went out into press. You know, I was an intern, so I didn't really. I was like, oh, okay. I like
0: it. settle down. But all the people in the department
1: were really cool, and everyone wanted to be around them. I it, know. it's just that, that was kind of interesting. Like oh, these. these People have a lot of power. They're getting a lot of stuff done, but they're facilitators. And so I accidentally kind of fell into that role in a short amount of time. But what it taught me were all the mechanics of how all these other roles were, were getting done. And there was a, the bigger piece of it was the behavioral mechanics. So really dialing in to what was being asked, what was being expressed, and I could really plug into the different personalities of all the people that I was working with so I could really laser focus and anticipate what, what a person was going to do before they even did it. It's,
0: like, it's so almost it's almost like juggling their personalities sort of like along a, with their talent. Yeah,
1: I'm sort of like a horse whisperer in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can really, I can see into people pretty well. I can see the strengths, I can see the weaknesses. I can see what excites them, I can see what scares them, I can read their facial energy, their, their physical energy, I can read the tones. I've always been able to do this, and it's a little spooky if I'm explaining this, but it's like, I can see your future, because I can see, it, it, I don't even think about it, I can just observe it, I can feel it, I can feel these energies of of people. And this is a craft that I really started to hone in on. I really started to dial in, and it—I think I give sometimes a a little bit too much away. (laughs) um, Professionally, it's been great because I can I can solve problems right away. But socially, I think I can probably scare people or or get misinterpreted because I can I can understand so well what someone else is experiencing as if I experienced it with them and no one trusts that understandably.
0: Because it's so it's too strong.
1: It's strong. I have a very powerful understanding of people, but and and how do you convey that in a way that's not terrifying to someone maybe you just met or someone that you've Barely known, you know. This is, this is kind of a slow release process. That I'm still. Is even, that what you do? Did even you... even now, I still have to figure it. I have to calibrate with with everybody.
0: Based on based on the individual mm-hmm. and their and their output and yeah. their receiving. Well, yeah. oh, with with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's terrifying, but you know, I think you know. I've also been. Working on a lot of changes, behavioral changes with the way I approach a lot of different things in my life. So that being one of them. Um, so yeah, that's it's a, a big exercise in terms of how how I present myself, how I'm perceived. It's a very fine. Is line. there
0: is there a different is there a, a different is there a professional Gina and they. Yeah. A- after hours, Gina. I
1: think there is. Yeah. Not, not a huge gap. I, I try to be as authentic as I could possibly be at all times because I, I have really nothing to hide and nothing to lose. <laughs> so I just go for it. And I guess that's kind of a scary thing to a lot of people. I th- Also, I took this, I took this brain test. (laughs) Is it it called Dianetics? No. (laughs) It's Dianetics. It's this NBI instrument test, it's the Kneeling's Brain Instrument Exam, and it evaluates your left brain and right brain functionality. So majority of people skew one side. In a high quadrant. So there are two quadrants on each side of the brain, L1, L2, R1, R2, and I basically came out equal percentages of all four, which is two to three percent of the population. What?
0: You're. It's weird. <laughs> like a super soldier.
1: I don't know what that means, but I do know that it it makes it really easy for me to listen to somebody and really understand what their experience is. And I can connect. I can find that connection point with any human being. And I actually love that. I love being able to to just calibrate to a human level. Like I was talking to some friends over the weekend. It's about traveling in developing nations, and in places in the world where Western culture doesn't exist, and trying to find that human touch point where I can assimilate with a person that has no experience with Western culture. It's amazing, because when you strip all of our behavioral learnings away, what it means to be American, what it means to be Indian, African whatever whatever part of the world you're from it just comes down to human right and it's so simple
0: do you think um, do you think your your um, you know the way you communicate has to be curtailed because a lot of people generally speaking don't know how to receive honesty
1: mhm Absolutely. I have to hold back a lot. Or, or aside of holding back, people don't trust what I say, and there's there's no reason to. And, what are you and, giving
0: out lottery numbers?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're gonna be a millionaire tomorrow. Um,
0: I don't trust you. Yeah. No,
1: yeah, but there's no reason. You know, I've known you a long time, so that's different, but, but if, I've, if I've just met someone, I can be very enthusiastic and people can get really excited and really amplified because I try to push out, and it's not that much of an effort to push out positive energy. It's, it's, there's a lot of good stuff in this world, so why not celebrate that versus hang, hanging on to dark negative shit you know I have heavy metal hardcore music for that like if I feel bad I'll just listen to hardcore music and well
0: I'm sure you have a theory for that right I have mine like why do you think people react that way why do you think people are suspicious of that
1: we're in a suspicious society we're, yeah. in, a, we're in a society that you really can't believe what you see I, I like journalism I, what what is that I think people
0: in general yeah. have their guard up, right? No matter where we no matter where you go, no matter what field, what walk of life, mm-hmm. and to somebody who is so so open, it's like who the fuck are you? You know, it's, exactly. I, I think cuz it's so uh when you remove any kind of armor and mm-hmm. you say like, look, this is me and I'm happy and I'm excited and It's 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 so much power that I think a lot of people kind of retreat or don't believe it. Yeah, just
1: don't believe it. And I am I'm a happy person. I'm not miserable. I have my moments, of course, like anybody does. I feel discouraged. I feel angry. I feel frustrated. All sad. All of those things. Those still. Those are emotions that still exist in my being. But I choose to to manage that, those feelings in a different way than maybe other people do. I look at, there's a role for all those emotions. And is that, it's not to say that any of those emotions will hold me back, but they can. And so when I think about where I need to go, what I have to do to survive, to feel good, to just be present, I have to really think about what am I feeling right now? Is that, is that a process that I need to be going through? How do I manage that out? Because no one enjoys those feelings. No one enjoys feeling bad. And
0: it's always this this compulsion that I think for me, like the biggest thing that I have to deal with is is the the compulsion to strike back. You know, when somebody, it could be something so trivial of like, I'm at the bank or I'm at like Dwayne Reed. And instead of somebody standing behind me in line, they'll stand next to me. I'm just like oh you motherfucker what do you think you're doing you think you're gonna get the register before me I'm fucking punching you in the face and I'm like where did that like just relax Who? cause then like so then I just say like okay if he goes in front of you who cares like it you're in a rush maybe he's in a rush too he's being disrespectful but it's not who cares just eh, let it go I don't. I mean like I said
1: I have my moments and I'm not saying they're all good ones but <laughs> welcome to New York welcome to New York <laughs> You're blocking the exit on the side. But yeah, I mean, overall, I can't. You know, there's a part of me that it feels like everything I do, I'm on my own. I've got to make the decisions. I've got to make the. I've got to make the right choices, and it's that's true for anyone. But I always have had this feeling, probably ever since I was a little kid, like there's no safety net. You make it right, and you'll be okay. And that's that's really how I live. It's just do the best possible thing in every situation. It's the way I try to solve problems for people I work with or relationships that I've endured over the over the years. It's really really just trying to do the best that I can and not not for me but for the whole if that makes any sense I grew up in a family of teachers and educators so it's just like wow this is a caretaking mentality that I sort of bring to the table it's just part of me too.
0: and you didn't fall in line you didn't become well, one
1: I've thought about it many times yeah. but it's Now that I know I have all this brain power.
0: (laughs) Well, evidently, uh, screen and conditioning power as well.
1: It's interesting because it's a matter of me deciding where it is I belong. And I can, if I decide I'm going to move to a mountaintop and, I don't know, become a hiking guide or something, I can do that. If I stay in New York City for the rest of my life, I can do it. I, I can go wherever and do whatever I can adjust to any environment that was presented to me. I think that you know, somewhat of our survivalist in that way.
0: Yeah, I mean I think uh, I think happiness is comes from within and not it where you are. It
1: has to come from within. You know,
0: I, I think I, I hear a lot of people who get fed up from where they are. And you know that they want to leave. I hear that a lot from from uh, people who've been here for X amount of years, and I get that way too. But it's like if you're not right inside, and you're just running, you're not running tor- for, toward anything. You're running away from something. Mm-hmm. So if you run away from something, it's gonna find you. So you can leave New York, and you can move to Hawaii or Canada or wherever. The things that bothered you here they're gonna find you Mm -hmm. unless you solve them
1: a hundred percent and it's why i haven't left yet um thought about it i've been sort of ready to go and i think i've hit that an age now where it's like ah i'm here monday through friday that's enough i need i need to escape on the weekends or 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 find out find another way to like Soothe my soul a little bit because, as much as we all love New York and living in New York, it's a grind and you're hustling and you're working hard and you're making it work, and that never really stops. And there, like, I was away over the weekend and it was so quiet. Where'd you go? was in New Jersey? (laughs) (laughs) It was beautiful.
0: But isn't it such a pain in the ass to leave, though? No.
1: Because I live on the West Side Highway. Oh, that's right. I can get out in five minutes. Five minutes any direction. I Um, always
0: find it's discouraging to leave. I'm just like, oh, God. Well, when you...
1: Especially when you're going to airports. Yeah. It's
0: a nightmare. And, yeah, airports are like... uh, Yeah, getting a ninety-five. Well, I guess ninety-five wouldn't be that bad.
1: No, it's always bad. Ninety-five is always terrible. Parking lots. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's. These are all things that run through my mind, and you know, where do I belong? Especially like if you're actually working on changing your life, changing your trajectory changing anything about what you're doing. You're changing patterns. Not changing who you are, you're changing patterns that you got used to doing over the time. I mean I do it in sport, I do it in profession, I do it in social.
0: Okay, so there's two strains of mm-hmm. thought. There's the one thought of, you know, if you the, the stick stick to itiveness of like, you know, keep keep on the grind, keep doing what you're mm-hmm. doing. And then there's the other school of thought of uh, doing the same thing and hoping that you'll get different results is the definition of insanity. Right. So which do you subscribe to? I
1: don't subscribe to the insanity model. I subscribe to and in fact, I'm doing this now. It's like everything I'm doing now, I'm like it's change, it's different, it's uncomfortable. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So every time I think about dialing back, I'm like, should I get a full-time job? Should I do this? Should I do that? I really think it through. Because I'm a solution-based thinker in that way. I'm like, yeah, yeah. is that really right? I'll map it out in my mind, not not on this table with my fingers. That's <laughs> it, how I do it. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting if I map it out with my finger. Um, <laughs> the I always come back to... Stick to the new course. Stick to it. Have
0: have faith in the plan.
1: Have faith in the plan because I'm doing the right thing. Right. If If I can make these recommendations for other people and see holistically that this is a change for the better, this is a solution that works for everybody, then it's going to be true for me change doesn't feel good for anybody we all feel horrible <laughs> when it's happening but when you get to the other side it's like holy shit I did it
0: <laughs> well, I think a lot of times it's like oh thank god that's over yeah. and you start you start worrying about the next thing you have to
1: or th- yeah or thank god that's over but it's like I got through it and I'm still standing it's awesome
0: right um, yeah. you know when, when uh, you know one question that I always ask um, people that that come on the show is, uh, and it, you've kind of answered it uh, through our conversation. But um, if you were to give yourself any kind of advice from ten years ago, what would it be?
1: Trust your gut. Yeah. yeah. So
0: your gut from twenty years ago, oh, I'm sorry, ten years ago.
1: Yeah. I second guess myself all the time. I still do it once in a while.
0: Well, that's the blessing and the curse of a of a introspective person, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, I I try to give the benefit of the doubt wherever I wherever I am, whatever situation I'm in. I can feel something and I pro- I know it's true. I know what I'm feeling is true. But I have to I have to get confirmation and not always that's just that's kind of what I've always said told myself over my instinct you, well wait a second you don't know for sure because you don't have that confirmation whether it's someone telling you something that you need to hear or just an experience that. of oh, that yeah um, running a marathon is really hard <laughs> it's really yeah, hard yeah I c- could tell you that <laughs> But it, I wouldn't change it like I trust my gut yeah but where I am now wouldn't change what I did in the past
0: right
1: I have no regrets not yet <laughs> maybe maybe the night but is young the night is young yeah. but it, seriously though it's like if you make a decision to do something own it Live live with it and move on. If you have regrets, then you've got bigger problems, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's like you're looking backwards and you're not growing that way. Yeah. I think it's natural to think like, like we were kind of saying before, like, oh, if I was 25 and I knew about, like... You know, fitness and nutrition then... Like,
1: yeah, then we I, still wouldn't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think about it. I think about it for, like... It, it, it comes into my brain for, like, a minute. But then it's more of a joke. It's more like a what-if. Yeah. You know, but then, like... I agree. Like, I'm, I'm happy with who I am now and where I am. Yeah. And that is my next question. So, uh... This is the big question that I have for everybody. It's not really that big. Yay. But what is happiness for you now?
1: Um... Maintaining my integrity. Giving as much love as I possibly can. Giving as much respect as I can. I'm hopeful that that comes back in the same way that I'll push it out. Believing in the power that I have to do good and taking that as far as I can go, I've held myself back for a long time. Just not knowing, not, just not knowing. It's nothing. But, it's it's more than belief. It's not knowing that I had this ability. Now that I know it, I believe the the powers of what I can do, and I want to use it all for for good things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think like when you, when, you, when you get that, it's like you, you, you understand that there's much more reward with fulfillment versus, versus that, that. See, I've always defined like there's two, types of, there's two types of fun. There's the fun that you have that's like, oh my God, this is fun. And then you never think about it again. Right. And then there's the other th- situation where this sucks. But then when you look back on it it was oh that was kind of fun yeah you know whether you like you're you know doing this grueling hike in alaska or something Mm -hmm. like that or 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 doing a triathlon and i think that's that's where fulfillment comes in and then i know for me it's it's always been fulfillment is the harder road but it's the one that you remember
1: always i mean but i also I, i don't forget the little moments either because they're all they all sort of compound into these Wonderful positive experiences. I'll take a thirty-second laugh. No laughing. (laughs) In a a day, like make me laugh, make me laugh for just a second or two, and that's awesome. Um, I'll take I'll take all that stuff because that's what life is comprised of—the little moments. And there are some extraordinary experiences, like you know, training for an Ironman with. 35 incredible human beings that are all there for the same purpose and we support each other through the good times and the bad times and we celebrate together at the end. Those are, those are all extremely powerful moments. I'll, t- I'll take every single one of them. I, and that's moment, what it is. Yeah. It's
0: moments, right? And we, we connect them.
1: Yeah, it's living and learning.
0: <laughs> it uh, never stops. Jenna, thank you so much for, for doing this, for Thanks. coming on the show. Anybody at Emerson you want to trash before we sign off?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had the shittiest class, um, survey research methods.
0: I never heard of that. It
1: was terrible. Matt Matt Sabnosky, and we called him Matt Snobnosky. He was a terrible teacher.
0: Wait, uh, did you... you... You have to take expository writing since you're a writing major. Yes. Did you actually have a, a, did you have a professor or like one of those graduate professors?
1: We had the symposium.
0: Creationism. Creationism, as in like religion creationism. Mm -hmm. How's that involve writing?
1: I I had to watch um, Space Odyssey two thousand one at eight o'clock in the morning. (laughs) It was terrible.
0: Was that over at like Tremont? No, is it
1: six zero
0: zero Marlboro? Ugh. yeah, not good, not good times. I remember I took a. Is it zero Marlboro? No, no. Yeah, it's is it Marlboro where they had the the VNA classes, mm-hmm. voice and articulation? Yeah,
1: no, no, no. I forget what
0: that was. That's Mar, that's not Marlboro.
1: Beacon. Oh yes, you know the the voice lab.
0: I remember that's where the marathon ran through, and I just remember, I took voice articulation there and then I took uh what was the other requirement and I just I just remember like uh, it's like why 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 am I here? DNA
1: was fun I took um oral interpretation too that was I may have
0: taken that I remember that was actually good I took
1: uh was basically like my intro to acting (laughs)
0: I don't, uh, yeah, a lot of of it becomes like a blur. Um, But anyway, um, yeah, so Gina, thank you so much. Had an awesome uh, awesome time. Everybody, go out and do good in the world, Bodhisattva, and have a good one. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Gina. I didn't even get to uh, really get into her uh, her company. Uh, You can check her out. Her website is gluenyc.com. You can follow her on the Twitter uh, at glueisforyou. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great one, and I'll check you next week.